Well, I hope you picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes as you came in. If you did not, it'll also be up on uh, PowerPoint. And as I normally do uh, at a Lord's Supper service, I just want to give uh, just a, uh, a devotional. And uh, you'll notice that devotional is re- entitled, Returning to My First Love uh, Through the Lord's Prayer. And let me just give you my motivation in sharing this. We just recently completed a sermon series entitled, What Jesus Looks For in a Church, which was a study of Christ's messages to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And uh, we discovered many, many things in those messages, and the main thing we were looking for is what is Jesus looking for? Uh, What's important to Him? What does He value? So that we would make those things our priorities and uh, let that be true of our lives um, and of our church. But we also tragically saw uh, in the message to those seven churches the steps to spiritual uh, decline. And we saw that spiritual decline always begins, as we saw there in the church of Ephesus, with what? Leaving your first love. When you don't love Christ as much as you once did, when your Christianity becomes a routine to endure rather than a relationship to enjoy, and where you sort of lose sight of what the very heart and purpose of the gospel is, and that is to bring you into a living encounter with the holy, almighty God, and where you see uh, you, you exist uh, basically for two fundamental purposes, and that is to enjoy Him, and as you enjoy Him, to exalt Him. And uh, to manifest Him, make Him known uh, uh, to others. So we, we, we lose our first love, and then we saw the second step is we then begin uh, to fear suffering. Uh, as uh, Christ's de- value becomes diminished in our eyes, other things begin to creep into our hearts, uh, grab hold of our hearts, becoming more important to us. And, uh, and there's, that, that, there's that fear of suffering, fear of making a stand for Jesus, being true to Jesus because it's going to cost us something. And then we saw that leads to what? Compromise. And we saw both doctrinal compromise where you water the word, God's Word down to make it easier to live in the culture in which you, which you are. Uh, and, and not only a doctrinal compromise, but and whenever you compromise the Scriptures, it leads to what? Moral uh, compromise, And then as you uh, begin to leave, live that life of duplicity, uh, we see uh, hypocrisy uh, develops. And, and then sadly, uh, that complacent, uh, lukewarm uh, experience that we saw there at the Seventh Church, Church at Laodicea, where they were actually blinded uh, to their sad condition, because, simply because they had a lot of information about the Bible, a lot of information about God. They thought spiritually they were fine, when in reality, you remember what Jesus said about them. He said, you nauseate me. This church makes me sick, because you think you're spiritually on top of things, but in reality, you know, you're blind, uh, you're poor, you're naked. And matter of fact, he portrays himself, what, outside the church trying to get back in uh, to, uh, to capture their hearts. So in light of that, I thought it would be good to share this little devotional on returning to my first love through the Lord's uh, prayer. And, uh, and those of you that have been at Edgewood for any length of time uh, know that it's not unusual for me in, in messages 
to share with you personal tools that I've developed in my life, that uh, many of which I've used for years and years uh, to aid me in my growth and in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of uh, those tools. Uh, I don't know when I developed this, but it was years and years ago. And the way I used this particular tool, when I suddenly realized I've sort of drifted from my first love, where I've become, uh, my, my love is not as warm, as hot as it once was, and I'm becoming a little cold towards Jesus, and maybe drifting into fear and anxiety and compromise, or even hypocrisy, sin. Uh, I use this tool uh, to return, uh, to renew. So I, I offer it uh, to you uh, as a, a tool to use in your life when you sense maybe uh, that you are beginning to drift from Jesus being your first love, your primary passion and pursuit in life. And I won't have long to go through this. There's so much more that could be said. But I, again, I trust it to be meaningful to you. And I, and I encourage you to take this, stick it away in your Bible, and uh, use it in your own personal life. So look at where we begin. So again, I'm sharing this in the context. I've hit one of those times where I just know... I've drifted from Christ as my first love. My heart's become uh, uh, lukewarm, complacent. Uh, I may be struggling in my walk with the Lord. And we begin with what? Praise. And that is, I give God my love. Praise. I give God my love. Notice the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father, who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. Now, when I say, I give God my love, here's, here's a key. How do I reignite my love for Christ that I'm saying has dissipated, that I've, I've, I've sort of drifted from Christ being my first love? How do I reignite that love? It's by focusing on God, my Father, who art in heaven, hallowed by, by thy name, getting my eyes off of myself, getting my eyes off of my circumstances, and focusing them on this magnificent God that is mine. Uh, I love that passage in 1 Corinthians eleven two, 2, where it says, I promised you a pure bride to one husband, Christ. And so each and every one of us as believers need to realize, first and foremost, we're part of the bride of Christ. And we are to present our lives to Him as a bride would present her life to her groom, with the first priority being giving Christ our what? Heartfelt affection, our heartfelt worship, our heartfelt love. Now, how do you do that? Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm just going to look at this very, very briefly. But verse 6 of this same chapter, uh, this is one of the verses right before he goes into the, giving the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I think he gives us a formula on sort of the how-to when, when, I'm, uh, when I'm trying to return to my first love and reignite that love and, and focus on God. He says in verse 6, But when you pray... Go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. Notice the, the, there are sort of four pieces to this verse. The first thing that I need to do is what? To refocus my thoughts on God. He says, but when you pray, go into your inner room. In other words, he's saying when you sense that you've drifted from God, and you need to return to Him as your first love. The first thing you need to do is sort of get alone with Him. 
You know, get into that inner room so where you can redirect your thoughts, your focus on God. And that leads us to the very next thing, to remove all distractions. And he says, when you have shut the door. So he's recognizing it's not just getting alone with God, but as you get alone with God, get rid of the distractions. You know, you, you, you're not going to, in other words, you need to turn away from the burdens that are on your heart, the anxieties on your heart. You also need to leave your cell phone outside that inner room as well. Uh, this is a time not to be disturbed where you can really refocus on God. And then notice the third little phrase where he says, pray to your Father who is in secret. Realize you are alone with the all-knowing, all-powerful, holy God. That's an awesome thought. So again, I sense that I've drifted from Christ as my first love. I know that the first thing I need to do is to begin to praise Him. Uh, that's how I reignite my love for Him. And to do that, I need to refocus my thoughts on God away from everything else. I need to remove all the other distractions so that I can focus on God. And then realize I'm with God right now. The all-knowing, all-powerful, holy God and then the fourth thing is to revive your heart in the Father's love. He says, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. I, I love the way the paraphrase, the message puts this verse. Listen to it. And this captures the heart of what I'm attempting to communicate. He says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, sec secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God, and you will sense His grace. Amen? So that's the first step in returning to my first love. It's by putting the focus on praise, giving my love to God, and, uh, and then that brings me to the second thing, and that's purpose. I'm to give God my life. I give God my life. Not only my praise, my love. But now I realize that I live for a purpose, and uh, that purpose is to give my life to God, uh, as we mentioned to the children, to finish the work that He has for me to do here on earth. He says in verse 10, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, and if I'm going to pray that, that kingdom has to begin where? In my heart, where His will is be done in my life here on earth as it is in heaven. Look at Philippians 12.1 from the Phillips Version. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God. What we just looked at in the Lord's Supper, remembering our Lord, who He is, what He accomplished for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give Him your bodies as a living sacrifice consecrated to Him. Let me give you a beautiful example of what it means uh, to give your life to God. Turn to Psalm 40. And then, well, we just don't have time. Uh, you may just want to jot down next to, to uh, these verses I'm going to share with you. Uh, Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15. And if you want, and that, that would be Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 17. So just jot, if you're taking notes, uh, I'll share with you some verses out of Psalm 40 and just uh, put right next to that Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 17. And the uh, Psalm 40 verses 
Uh, I want to begin, um, let's see, at verse 5. At verse 5, and we're going to look at verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. 5, 6, 7, and 8 of Psalm 40. This is a, a psalm of David, and he writes, Many, O Lord my God, are the wonders which thou hast done, and thy thoughts toward us. There is none to compare with thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they would be too numerous to account. There's a great example of what we talked about in the first point, praise, uh, giving God my love, refocusing my thoughts on, on Him. And then look at verse 6. Sacrifice and meal offering thou hast not desired, my ears thou hast opened, burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God, thy law is within my heart. Now go back at verse 6, and you see that phrase where it says, My ears thou hast opened? Some of your Bibles in the side references might have, mine has it, for example, that that word opened in the Hebrew text would literally be translated pierced. It's, so, it's, so, it's very fascinating when you first see this, and, and it's, it's very unusual, and you wonder, what in the world is he saying? He basically look, He's talking to God, and he's basically saying, God, you haven't required sacrifice from me. You haven't required meal offering. Why? Because you've pierced my ear. And then he goes on, I delight to do thy will. What in the world is he talking about? Well, we believe he's referring to the Deuteronomy passage that I mentioned to you. And let me tell you what that Deuteronomy passage is. It's very, very precious. In the Hebrew culture, say you went into debt to another Hebrew. Often you would become an indentured servant to that individual that you would come into debt with, so that you would serve that person to pay off your debt. But the uh, Old Testament code laid down the regulation that if you were an indentured service, uh, servant paying off a debt to someone, you could only be in their service for seven years. And then whether the debt was paid or not, he said you had to give them their freedom. And not only did you give them their freedom, but as you gave them their freedom, it talks about you providing liberally for them. And, of course, this is all because of what? Reminding them of their exodus out of Egypt and what God did for them as he uh, liberated them from, uh, from slavery there. So, so that was the regulation. There was an indentured servant paying off a debt. He could only work for seven years. Then the man that uh, he was trying to pay off had to give him his freedom and not only give him his freedom, but prov prov provide for him liberally as he let him go. But it also stated there that if the indentured servant had grown to love the individual that he was serving and knew that he could do no better than to remain with this individual and continue to serve him, he could make that decision. He could make the decision, I don't want my liberty. I don't take it. I make a choice to remain as a servant to this master. Now, if he made that decision, it was an irrevocable decision for the rest of his life. In other words, he was saying with that decision, I'm giving up my freedom, and I am out of delight. Notice the motive is love for that master. I am making the decision to stay with him and to serve him the rest of my life until my death.
Now, if he made that decision, the Deuteronomy passage says there's a little ceremony that took place. The master would take that servant to the doorpost of his home, and he would use a, a small little awl instrument, and he would what? He would pierce that servant's ear. And that was a mark of ownership. So in light of that, think of what David is saying. When he's saying, you haven't required sacrifice from me. You haven't required meal offering from me. Why? Because you've pierced my ear. I delight to do thy will, O God. In other words, it's an amazing thing. David is looking up at God, and he's basically saying this. You haven't required any sacrifice from me. Why? Because you already have it all. There's nothing left for me to give. I am yours. Lock, stock, and barrel. Body, soul, and spirit. Mind, will, and emotion. Not only everything that I am, but everything that I possess is yours. That's exactly what David is saying in Psalm 40. A beautiful, beautiful illustration of what true surrender to God is. What it means to give my life to God. So the question for all of us this morning is, can I truly look with honesty and integrity into the face of God and say, you don't, you're not requiring any sacrifice from me because everything's already given to you. I've already presented my life to you as a living sacrifice to follow you, not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed through your power, through the renewal of my mind that I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So again, we're talking about these steps in returning to my first love. So I begin with praise, giving my love to God, taking my eyes off of myself, off of my circumstances, and getting them on God, His majesty, His glory, His attributes, His character, His wonders, His deeds. And then I move from there to my purpose. I give my life to God. And then look at the third thing there in your notes. We move to provision. I give my worries to God. And the way I worry, the reason I'm wording a lot of these the way I do is because these are the things that tend to distract us, to take us away from Christ as our first love. Uh, and so I give God my worries. I give God those things that have distracted me, that have torn me away from Him. You've heard me share before that word worry in the New Testament is merimneo. The word literally means to divide, to distract, to tear away. And uh, in the context of the Scriptures, worry basically is becoming so distracted about what might or might not happen in a relationship or a circumstance that I lose sight of God as a present reality right now. And, and, I, and I so meditate on my problem, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, I become overwhelmed and overwhelmed by my inabilities and I plunge into depression. Where what God wants me to do is no. Don't meditate on your problem like we're talking about. Meditate on me. Meditate on the size of your God. Don't focus on your inability. Focus on my ability. That there's nothing too difficult for me. There's nothing impossible for me. So, so give God, I give God my words. He says, give us this day our daily bread. And look at that verse 8. That's in the same, the same context of the Lord's Prayer. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What a thought. Now, a lot of people, when they hear that, they say, what's the point of prayer? If God knows what I need before I ask Him, why should I even ask? 
Why should I even pray? And you're missing the whole significance of prayer. You need to understand, I can't explain this because God is God and I'm just a man. But God in eternity past set his love on you. And as he set his love on you, he foresaw every need, every crisis, every adversity you would ever encounter in your life. And because he's God, he not only foresaw all of that in eternity past, but he made provision for it. You know, it talks about Jesus being slain when in Revelation? Before what? The foundation of the world. Before man fell into sin in time, space, and history, God foresaw the fail and he already made the solution. So from God's perspective, the solution comes before the problem. I can't explain that. That's why he's God and I'm not. But that's the great God we have. But bottom line, the application is this. If you're a child of God, there's nothing you will ever encounter in life that God did not foresee. And in foreseeing it, He already made provision for you. Now, if you understand that, it throws a whole new light on prayer. Prayer is such an exciting thing. I run into that inner room excited, knowing God has foreseen what I'm encountering, knowing He has already made provision for it. So I'm saying, God, I'm excited about finding it discovering it, appropriating what you've already... And you know, I've, I've, I've said this to many people over the years. Uh, it'd be interesting. I, I wonder if God will allow this. I don't know. He may not. But I would be interested when I do get to heaven to be able to look back over the course that I followed through my life and to see the care packages I missed from God because I was so distracted by my worry. I was so distracted, torn away from God by my worry that I was blinded to the very, I mean, probably some of these I tripped right over and didn't even realize what I was doing. But that's what prayer really is. You're not trying to twist the arm of a reluctant God. No. You're, you're, you're coming to a father who loves you, who has a purpose for you, who's already made provision for you. Now, that provision is not to do, give you a blank check to do everything. It's what? To finish the work he's given you to do, to fulfill the calling that he's placed on your life. But that's exciting to know. That, 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 that should drive us to prayer. The provision's there. Now it's just to find it, just to discover it, just to appropriate it. And that's what he's saying. And then look at Philippians 4, 6 there in your notes. How exciting is this uh, from the message? This is what happens when we do this. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and what? Settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Amen? And then very, very quickly, my time's basically on. Now I come to pardon. I give God my what? My guilt. And forgive us our debts. David said in Psalm 32, too, yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Now, one thing I'll say here, that when I'm walking through this, when I'm using this as a tool in my life, 
right at this point, I always zero in on the fact that sin is simply valuing anything or anyone more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's interesting to look at sin that way. When I realize that I have, I'm, I'm, and in sin, I'm grabbing hold of the lesser, giving up the greater. You understand? And just the pure stupidity in that, the foolishness in that. So I reflect on that fact. God, forgive me for chasing this cheap, you know, temporal, earthly gratification and saying that's more important than you and who you are, what you've done for me, and the opportunity to serve you and, uh, and, and, and return to him. And then look at the fifth thing. People, I have, to, I have to deal with people, and often it's people that distract me and, and, and lead me away from Christ as being my first love. I need to give God my hurts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And at the end of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus did say, for if you forgive men for their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive you your transgressions. And that's not talking about in the context of justification. If you're a believer... Your sin has been forgiven, past, present, and future. But there is what I like to call parental forgiveness. I'm to walk in fellowship with God. I'm to walk in the light even as Christ is in the light. And and if I'm walking in unforgiveness, if I'm walking in unkindness, that's going to impact my fellowship with God. That's going to impact the way He he treats me. Uh, Again, not that He stops loving me. His love is eternal. His, once captured by His love, there is no escape. But that is going to put a block there in terms of our fellowship that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be corrected. And that's, that's, the, that's the point here, to uh, forgive uh, and uh, by His grace uh, to do what we otherwise could not do. And then the sixth thing, the final thing, I give God my fears. I give God my fears, protection, the issue of protection, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then I love Matthew 10, 31, therefore do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. And I'll just, I'll just end with this uh, precious illustration. If you're familiar with your scriptures, Jesus talks about you could purchase two sparrows for a single penny. In, in biblical days, it was called an Assyrian, the smallest coin in, uh, in, in, in the Roman Empire. But he said, you could buy two sparrows for a penny. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of Luke, he says, you could get five sparrows for what? Two pennies. In other words, if, you will, if you're willing to put another penny in, you get an extra sparrow on the deal. And, and the point Jesus makes is that fifth sparrow, we could, that's, that's the forgotten sparrow. In other words, that's the sparrow that has absolutely no worth, no value in the eyes of men, not even worth a penny. He just gets thrown in on the deal. Jesus is saying even that sparrow, the forgotten sparrow, that has no worth, no value in the eyes of man, that little sparrow can't even light on the ground apart from the Father's knowledge. He cares for that sparrow. He provides for that sparrow, and he says, hey, I love you more than sparrows. I mean, if I love a sparrow that much, and I value a sparrow that much, and I care for a sparrow that much, how much more will I love, how much more will I value and care for those who have been redeemed by the 
blood of my son. That's what he's saying. And when you realize that, what is there to fear? When you know, if God is for me, what? Who? Who can be against me? And that's even a precious thought with Compassion International. Many of these children that they're ministering to would be the forget, forgotten children of our day and age that have been just thrown out like garbage on the streets. But God loves them. He values them and He cares for them. And you say, well, why isn't He doing more for them? Could it be he's waiting for his children to be his instruments? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in my life here on earth as it is in heaven. We're his instruments. We're the body of Christ. He's ascended. He's, yes, our head, but we're the body to walk now as he walked, to love and minister to others in compassion.